Welcome to episode 180 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is the first 40 miles. Today on the first 40 miles, Are you sure you want to go backpacking? Do you know what you're signing up for? We'll wisen you up a little. On today's top five list, learn what not to do on your first backpacking trip. And if you're looking for a way to compress your gear, here's a stashable water bottle option. For the backpack hack of the week, learn where to borrow backpacking gear before you buy. All this, and that's about it, today on the first 40 miles. The other night we were laying in our tent right next to the Metolius River, and I thought back to three and a half years ago when you signed up for that 40-mile trip around Mount Hood. And I asked you, did you really know what you signed up for? I mean, you signed up for a 40-mile trip around Mount Hood. Did you know that you signed up for... Going backpacking every few months and doing a podcast and reviewing gear and inventing things and writing books and... Nope. None of that even crossed my mind when I said that I wanted to go on my first backpacking trip. But when you asked me that question, you know, do you know what you were signing up for? Uh, All of these thoughts flooded into my head of all of the things that I love about backpacking. It's such an enriching experience in every way. And of course, not everyone who goes backpacking for the first time is going to have the reaction that I did to it. But I think there is something for everyone out on the trail. And that's what I love about backpacking, is that if you are a competitive person, then you can be super competitive about backpacking and try and really push the miles. If you're more of a laid back person, then there are definitely many opportunities for just relaxing in a hammock and sitting by a fire and just moseying down the trail, or as John Muir says, sauntering. He wanted people to saunter through the woods. Okay. We met a saunterer on that trip. The only person that we ran into the entire three days was backpacking in as we were backpacking out. And he looked like he was just sauntering down the trail. We said hi to him and asked him about his plans a little bit. And yeah, he was just going to hike down the trail, camp out for a day or two, enjoy some solitude, and saunter on back. Exactly. And if you're into survival, definitely there are lots of opportunities for that out there of kind of pushing the limits, kind of butting heads with Mother Nature and trying to outwit her and protect yourself at the same time. Uh, If you are a gear junkie, Then there are lots of opportunities to try out different gear and kind of play around with your setup. If you're a tinkerer and you love creating things, certainly backpacking has a subculture of tinkerers, people who like to do the make your own gear thing and sew tents, sew sleeping bags, make little rain kilts. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do. And if you're a food junkie, then there's this unique challenge of trying to make a gourmet meal on the trail. 
if you're kind of like you've done everything in the kitchen and you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, I need a new challenge. Well, then put that kitchen on your back in really small, light amounts <laughs> and try to replicate it out on the trail. And boy, that's a, a really fun challenge for a foodie. Humbling experience for people who are skilled in the kitchen, for sure. And then lately, you've really been getting into inventing games that can be played either on the trail while you're hiking or at camp. Yeah, there is something for everyone on the trail. And when Josh asked me, do you know what you signed up for? I think I understood just a little sliver of what I signed up for. Because the more you go backpacking, the more things you find interesting while you're out there. You start learning about foraging or mushrooms or bushcrafting, or you work on honing your fire building skills. Or maybe you decide that you want to become an ultralight backpacker and really pare down your gear. So there are so many paths, I guess, in backpacking that you can take and make it a truly enriching experience, no matter which path you take. So it's like a game that's really easy to get into, and then it has such depth that you never reach the end. Yeah, it's like a, what is that, chess? <laughs> easy to learn. <laughs> Lifetime to master. To master. <laughs> no, I don't think chess is like that. Maybe it's another game that has that as its motto. <laughs> but yeah, that's what backpacking is like. Easy to learn, a lifetime to master, or a lifetime to unravel. It's, yeah, it's not even unpack. mastery that we're talking about. Right. It's just that there's so many avenues that you can explore, different interests that you can develop that are all brought together through backpacking. I really felt like on our last trip to the Metolius River, Something was rekindled, re-sparked inside of me, and I gained this new love for backpacking. And I'm curious if any of our listeners who are seasoned backpackers have ever experienced that, where, you know, you go on these trips, they're fun, they're enjoyable, but then you go on a trip and all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, this is why I go out backpacking. Or you learn something new and you're like, ah, oh, the spark is back. You know, that, that feeling of excitement. Yeah, like when you got the family to head out to our family backpacking spot last night after school. <laughs> and uh, somewhere along the way, you said, um, Josh, I think I'm becoming like you, <laughs> where I have to get outside. Yeah, I had things that I was looking forward to, things I wanted to do and experience. And, you know, I really haven't ever felt that same drive that you have where you're like, oh, just got to get outside. Mostly, I'm just a follower. You know, you plan the trips and I say, okay, let's go. But I'm not the leader when it comes to planning the trips. So I think the tables are turning a little bit. <laughs> and you're right. I got the family out and we had a great time last night out at our family backpacking spot. It wasn't even a backpacking trip. It was just a short little two-hour out and back where we did some trail maintenance along the way, but so much fun and really scratched that itch or <laughs> filled that, in that longing that I had to get out and just be active and be outside. And if you're a brand new backpacker, maybe share with us, why does backpacking float your boat at this early stage in your backpacking development? Why do you get out? Um, and then we'd love to hear from the seasoned backpackers as well. And we'd love to hear your stories, which you can record at thefirst40miles.com slash story. For today's top five list, the top five ways to look like a noob on the trail. 
Nobody wants to look stupid on their first time out backpacking. You know, like when you were in junior high, looking dumb meant wearing the wrong clothes or not being up to date on all the pop culture. But today, we're not going to talk about whether you're wearing the right clothes on your backpacking trip or whether your backpack is the right color or you have the latest water filter. All of that is okay. Just get out on your first trip. But like Josh talked about a few weeks ago, there are some etiquette rules for backpacking. And this whole idea of hike your own hike which is a pretty popular phrase in backpacking. Uh, It's great, but if your hike infringes on someone else's hike, then you're forcing them to hike your hike. So these etiquette rules, I think, will really help on your first time out just to avoid some of those newbie mistakes so you don't look like a newbie. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there seems to be no end to the depth of the rules that you can discover or learn for being out in the wilderness. It can get very, very detailed and very kind of, I would even say nitpicky in terms of what you should do or what you shouldn't do. And uh, we're going to cover the obvious ones. This is the stuff that'll definitely paint you as a noob and you definitely shouldn't do it. Yeah, not only will it paint you as a noob, but if you do this when you're out on the trail with friends, they may not invite you back again. So these are the the critical things that you need to know before going out backpacking. And the number one way to look like a noob on the trail is to feed the animals. It may look cute, it may look harmless, but it just messes with the balance and attracts more and more animals. And the animals will become really opportunistic if they see that they can always get a free handout, then that's what they're going to go for. That's easy. It's the path of least resistance for them. And then that free handout walks away and it's gone. And they're going to be looking for that next free handout from the next backpacker who comes along. Well, it's not going to be quite so free that time. Instead, they're going to have to chew through someone's pack or into the food bag. Now we've got bigger problems. So it's best for those animals to find their food the way they've always found their food and to not have you come in and interrupt that balance. The number two way to look like a noob on the trail is to make destructive changes to the environment. This was really popular and cool back in the 1800s. Carving your initials in a tree. Not so cool anymore. So making destructive changes is a sure way to peg you as a noob. And this applies to permanent changes as well as non-permanent changes. We camped in a spot at the Metolius River that was beautiful, um, except for this little spot underneath a tree where someone had dug a hole and somehow the stuff that had to go in the hole did not end up in the hole. It was just this weird, odd human mess. It was kind of embarrassing and come on, you can do better than that. (laughs) Even if your aim is really bad, Grab a stick and cover up your mess and make sure that there's no trace left behind. So even if you don't know the specific rules about how big that hole should be and how far it should be from water and all of that, when you take a moment just to use common sense, you say, okay, I need a hole that's big enough to bury everything. And yeah, it makes sense that I should be away from water. So even until you've learned all the specific rules, you can still just use common sense to say, okay, I need to make sure that I don't destroy the environment around me. Josh, do you remember the story about those guys who pushed over a huge kind of balancing rock over on the coast of Oregon? 
Yeah, it was at Cape Kowanda, and it was videoed and everything. These guys pushing over this rock that had been there for, like, forever, and now it's gone. Yeah, it looked like the rock was balanced, and because of the ocean etching away at the base of the rock, it slowly eroded, and it looked like this massive rock was balancing on its end. It was really stunning. Anyway, some guys pushed it over, and the rock is no longer there. So avoid destructive changes to the environment that will affect others, that will make it so they don't have the same experience that you have. The number three way to look like a noob on the trail is to be irresponsible with fire. Everyone loves building a little fire. It keeps us warm, but it also has incredible power to destroy. So keep your fires manageable. Make sure you have some water nearby. And we have the rule in our family, no moving fire. So, you know, that means if you're poking the fire, that's fine. But that stick that's poking the fire better not leave the fire ring and, you know, walk around camp like a big torch. Yeah, what goes in the fire stays in the fire. Exactly. Yeah, and along with no moving fire, uh, no fireworks, of course. The fire department has a much longer response time out in the wilderness. <laughs> it doesn't take three or four minutes. It takes hours or even days to respond to a fire. And you don't want to be that one that creates that fire that ends up burning down the wilderness. And, and it happened um, just last summer in Oregon. Being responsible with fire means that when you're finished with your fire, you put it all the way out. That means that you douse it with water and make sure that it is cool to the touch. So if you put your hand over it, you shouldn't be able to feel any heat or see any of those orange coals. And typically when you're in the backcountry, fires stay in the ring. So there will be a little fire ring with some stones around it, and that is the designated place for the fire. Some people go as far as to bring a fire pan so that they don't have to make any black marks in the wilderness, especially if they're in some really kind of sensitive areas. But most of the time at designated camp spots, there is a fire ring. And if the rules for the wilderness area where you're going say no fires, that means no fires. You can do a backpacking trip without fires. It's true. And, you know, when they say no fire, they might also mean no stoves that don't have an off switch. So make sure you read the rules because fire is serious. You don't want to be messing with it, especially if it's been a hot, dry summer and there is a high risk of forest fires. The number four way to look like a noob on the trail is to be disruptive to other hikers. And mostly the way that we see this is through music bombs. You know, these people that are walking around with music emanating from them or pulsing from them. And at that point, you're not hiking your own hike anymore. You get to hike their hike and listen to their music. And maybe you don't want to do that. So keep your music to yourself. Keep your earbuds in and uh, then you won't look like a noob. We've been struggling with this one a little bit lately with our boys because uh, ever since we got those ham radios that are quite handy on the trail, those ham radios have, um, you can switch them to FM broadcast. And even when you're way out in the wilderness, <laughs> chances are there's at least one broadcast FM radio station that you can pick up loud and clear. And that's what our boys do. They pull out these radios, switch them to FM broadcast, and all of a sudden we're hiking down the trail with their music coming <laughs> over the radio in, in a sort of tinny speaker. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a challenge uh, as we've tried to kind of help set the, 
I guess, help draw the line with them. Sometimes we are in really remote areas where we know that they're not bothering someone else. And yet, hey, if they're bothering us, <laughs> that's enough to say something. And also, we want to take that opportunity to train them so that we can help uh, kind of extinguish that behavior before we're in a place where we're going to be meeting a lot of other hikers on the trail and be rather embarrassed that our boys are walking around with, you know, all their radios turned on to music. Yeah. And I think one of the beautiful things about the wilderness is that it gives you a chance to be still. And I enjoy hiking, listening to music in my earbuds, but I will take them out. Or like on the last trip that we went on, I didn't even bring music. And it was so refreshing, actually. I got a chance to hear my own thoughts and really disconnect completely and hike and enjoy all of the sounds of nature. In fact, that's one of the Leave No Trace principles is let nature's sounds prevail, which I think is a beautiful way of saying, be quiet. A nicer way of saying, be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> the number five way to look like a noob on the trail is to leave your mess for someone else to clean up. Trash, like bullet casings, glass beer bottles, bottle tops half-burnt aluminum cans, cigarette butts. It seems like the further you get out into the wilderness, the more those types of things kind of disappear. And so it's really great to get so far out and to just have a pristine campsite, a pristine trail. But every once in a while, you do find a little piece of trash. And whether it was left there on purpose or by accident, it always kind of jars you a little like, whoa, a relic of society. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I'll find trash in the most unexpected places. I'll leave the trail to uh, use the bathroom and I'm just out in the middle of the woods and all of a sudden there's a soda can on the ground. It's like, wow, I thought I was out in the wilderness. I'm not even right next to the trail. And I stumbled across this. <laughs> um, mylar balloons are another one. I mean, they can end up anywhere. <laughs> Because someone let them go in the city and they flew over the wilderness and landed somewhere on the ground. And wow, okay, happy birthday. Yay. <laughs> what do I do with this thing? <laughs> uh, just last night when we were at our family backpacking spot, we found another bowling ball. What? Yeah. I missed that. What? Where it, was it? It was at the spot where the boys were uh, putting in that bridge to get over that wet spot. Uh-huh. And there was a chunk of bowling ball in the mud. You're kidding. You know, people had come up there to shoot it. Wow. This is the second time we've found a bowling ball. Yeah. Now. That's really interesting. Don't leave your mess for someone else to clean up. And if you are wondering what burns, paper burns in a fire, but bottle tops never burn, glass never burns, and aluminum cans, they get weird looking and kind of skeletal but they don't burn all the way. So don't put that stuff in the fire. Smash it. Well, not the glass, but smash the cans, pack them back, collect your bottle tops. If you have cigarette butts, stomp them out and then stick them in a little ultralight Ziploc baggie <laughs> and uh, glass bottles. Don't even try and hide those in the wilderness. So pack out your glass bottles. So we hope this list saves you from looking like a noob on the trail. If you have any other things you want to add to the list, go ahead and go over to our Facebook page or to Twitter and you can share with the audience. For today's Summit Gear Review, we'll be reviewing the Hydra Pack Stash 750. 
the Hydropack Stash 750 is a 750 milliliter collapsible water bottle. It's made of thermoplastic polyurethane or TPU and high density polyethylene, which is what gives the bottle its shape on the top and on the bottom. There's a little bit of rigid structure there. It's 100% BPA and PVC free. And the opening is a 42 millimeter and it has a screw top cap the size of the opening is important because then you can tell what other lids or what other filters will fit with this water bottle. For utility, imagine that you've got a, a hard water bottle and you cut out everything between the top of the bottle and the bottom of the bottle and then replace that with flexible plastic. That's what you'd have in the Hydropack Stash 750. So everything between the top of the bottle and the bottom of the bottle is flexible and can be collapsed. So when the bottle is empty, it collapses down to about one-fourth of its full size, which means it takes up less space in your pack. Sometimes it's necessary to have extra water carrying capacity on you, but to not necessarily have it full of water all the time. Right, and we're going to have that dilemma on our trip this summer when we go out with Steve. We're going to be traveling many miles without water. And so we're going to need to camel up and fill up probably three liters of water, but we're not going to need to carry three liters of water every day for the whole week. Just that one day where we're going to go an entire day without finding a water source to fill up on. So the Hydropack Stash 750 is really nice for situations like that, where you've got the capacity when you need it, and then you can collapse it down when you don't need it, and it's not taking much space in your pack. Uh, the TPU that that plastic, that flexible plastic, is this super durable plastic that looks like you should be able to rip a hole in it until you try, and you can't. It's amazingly tough stuff. Yeah, in fact, when I went to the outdoor retailer show a couple of years ago, they were doing a demonstration where they would have these water bottles, you know, the stash, they have several different sizes, but they would fill them with water and then step on them. These rugged outdoorsy men would <laughs> put their foot on there and just balance on the TPU water bottle. So it's pretty incredible. The Hydropack Stash 750 also has a kind of a flexible rubbery carrying ring up by the lid and a capacity gauge on the outside so you can tell how much water you have in it. And in case you're wondering, 750 milliliters is 25 fluid ounces. For mass, this is going to be about half as heavy as your traditional Nalgene water bottle. The Stash 750 comes in at 2.9 ounces. And for the size, when it's fully filled, it's about 7.5 inches tall by about 3.5 inches in diameter. And when it's closed, it compresses down to about 2.5 inches by 3.5 inches. Now for maintenance, you'll need to hand wash the Hydropack Stash 750. It is not dishwasher safe. However, Hydropack makes some tablets called Bottle Bright which will work on all of the Hydropack bottles, whether it's a reservoir or one of these collapsible water bottles. For investment, the Hydropack Stash 750 is $20, and it does come with a no-leak lifetime warranty. Now for trial. What's it like to drink out of the Hydropack Stash 750? It takes a little getting used to. It's not your typical hard-sided container, so when you reach for it and grab it from the center, it will squish, which means you need to grab it a little bit differently. So hold it from the top and the bottom, and then you can drink from it. If you just hold it from the top, you're going to get a face full of water as it kind of empties out uh, more quickly. Yeah, I was wondering about that, and if I only hold it in the center, then it's like, as long as it's closed, I can grip on it really well. But as soon as I open the lid, 
it's going to start squeezing all the air out. And then after the air is going to come the water. If I take the lid off and I just hold on to this bottle like I would on my hard-sided water bottle, I mean, pretty soon I'm going to have water coming out the top just from holding the bottle. Yeah, so you need to grip it from the top and you can either use the little carry strap or you can hold the um, hard-sided edge near the mouth of the water bottle. Well, once it's partially drained, then if you're only going to hold it by the top, you have to really tip it way back to start getting some water out of it. Right, because it kind of pinches off at the top. Yeah, um, and droops. Yeah, so you really do have to hold it with both hands once it's about halfway full. And there's kind of a slight smell from the hydropack stash, a little bit of a treated water smell or like a you know, pool water, which I've heard dissipates after a while. But it is brand new. We just got it. We've only filled it up a couple times. Uh, but I noticed that right away. It's like, wow, this is feels like I'm drinking some overtreated water. But yeah, hopefully that dissipates over time. Okay, so I also wanted to ask you, when it comes time to collapse the bottle down, how does that go? Is that easy to collapse it down and kind of pop it into place and then to pop it apart again when you're ready to, to uncollapse it? Yeah, as long as you understand what you're doing and as long as you have the hands of a gorilla, I think you'll be okay. So you collapse it by twisting it down so that all of the TPU kind of stays together and then you push the bottom into the top. So at first I thought you were locking it into place or you were screwing it in or something. But no, it just holds by these little tabs that are in there. You just push it and it click, 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 clicks into place and then getting it back out again is the tricky part. And I see why they have this little, uh, it's like a little space that maybe you would want to attach some rope to or some paracord because the hardest part about using the stash is getting it unstashed. So there's not really a place to pull, which is why you would want to attach some kind of pull onto this little slot on the hydropack stash. Oh yeah, if you had even a small piece of webbing or or line that went through that little uh, area there, then you could really have something to pull with to pull it apart. But if you don't have that, then you're grabbing onto the bottom rigid plastic. Which is about a quarter inch of hard plastic. And slopes kind of, you know, inward towards the bottom towards you. So there's nothing really to grab onto. <laughs> and then you're trying to pull that out of the top that has those four tabs keeping the bottom into place. And as I was trying it, I was thinking, here we are in a 70 degree room doing this, but what's it going to be like when it's 35 degrees outside and my hands are not quite as flexible and kind of cold? So it would be much harder to uh, unlock it or open it up in a cold environment. So yeah, attaching something on there so you have some leverage to pull it back out and extend the water bottle, that would be a really great hack for the Hydropack Stash 750. And we also thought that if they had designed the bottom to have little um, notches in it that would line up with the tabs of the top, then it would be very easy to put the bottom into the top and then do a little additional twist to kind of uh, lock it into place. And when you're ready to get it out, you could just twist it back so that those tabs and notches line up again, and then it would just release freely. Yeah, in fact, we were kind of confused the first time we used it because we thought those little tabs were going to uh, kind of lock the bottom into place. But nope, it just snaps right into place. And one more thing, some people like to use their Nalgene water bottles to put boiling water in, and then they'll take them to bed at night, and it'll keep them warm for a few hours. You can't quite do that with the Hydropack. 
you can only put water up to 140 degrees Fahrenheit, so it doesn't quite have the same heat tolerance that Nalgene bottles do. One of the things that I liked about the Hydropack Stash 750 is that it can be used with a Catadyne B-Free filter. So if you already have a Catadyne filter, it comes with a Hydropack bag, which is great. And then if you want to use the B-Free filter, you can screw that onto the top of this Hydropack and it actually kind of takes away the some of the frustrations of using the Hydropack because you would be squeezing the Hydropack to get the filtered water out of the B-Free filter. And if you use the Hydropack stash just like it is, it is a little bit tricky. Like it's meant to be squeezed, <laughs> but if you just unscrew the top and you try squeezing it, water is going to fly everywhere. So I think this is probably best used with the B-Free filter. And we'll have the Hydropack Stash 750 information in today's show notes, and you'll find that at thefirst40miles.com slash 180. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, Ranger Station Camp Kits by A-Lite. The company A-Lite, A-L-I-T-E, has this crazy idea that they want to get people outside. So they've put together these hiking kits, camp kits, backpacking kits that people can borrow starting on May 1st. There's a camp kit specifically for backpackers, and it includes a tent, a 60-liter pack, a little day pack, a little backpacking chair, some bungees to keep your gear all attached, a solar lantern, and a sleeping pad. So it has the skeleton of all the stuff that you need. You just need to fill in the gaps with a sleeping bag, some food, 10 essentials, and whatever else you want to take on the trip. But you're good to go. This is something that you could borrow for a weekend and maybe head out to that spot that you've always wanted to go see. This is such a generous offer from A-Lite, and we're really excited to hear anyone's experience with it. This isn't the first year that A-Lite has done these Ranger Station Camp Kits, so if you've had experience with these before, or you've heard about this program, or you know someone who's tried it, let us know because we think this is such a great initiative that Alight is putting out there and will really give people who may not have the opportunity to buy gear or they just they just want to try backpacking but they don't know where to start. This is an incredible opportunity and I think it will open up doors for people who really need that opportunity. So feel free to share this information with your friends. We'll have all the information in today's show notes. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, William O. Douglas. And this is from Of Men and Mountains. He said, When man ventures into the wilderness, climbs the ridges, and sleeps in the forest, he comes in close communion with his creator. When man pits himself against the mountain, he taps inner springs of strength he comes to know himself. Before we wrap up, we have one bit of exciting news, and that is our book, Backpacker ABCs. It's a sweet little book for cute little beginner backpackers. It'll walk them through an entire day of backpacking, ABC style, all with watercolor illustrations of these three little backpackers that are going through the forest on their backpacking trip. And that book will be available on Amazon or iTunes on May 1st, 2018. 
That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. I'm growing a mustache. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs>